Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. I think what's really, really cool uh, about food is that it's, it's a very relational thing for me. I like food. It's a problem. I'm doing my best. I'm counting my calories. I'm like trying, but like I do, I like food. Part of it is like my culture and my history. My mom's side of the family is Italian. Amen. Uh, my, my dad's side is a little bit redneck. And so we're praying for them. Um, and then more than that, I grew up in Louisiana, which if you haven't had Louisiana Cajun food, I don't know if you're ready to taste what heaven's meals are going to be like, because I sincerely believe that there's a distinct connection there. But when it comes to food, I'm like, I'm about it. I love to cook. Um, at the same time, I love to go out to eat. I just love to feed people. Uh, so when somebody's like, hey, let's go get lunch, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm already thinking about where we're going. I'm already thinking about what I'm getting. I'm like 10 steps ahead. Uh, it's not just like, I can't just yelp. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's the intro conversation. I need to ask people and be like, hey, have you been here before? What have you had? What was good? I, I kind of do my research on it. Um, I just enjoy food. Uh, I think one of the things that, this isn't new for me, I kind of grew up this way. Um, we would kind of do some traveling here and there, and when we go to a really nice restaurant like Chili's or Applebee's, I would always find myself, stop it. Uh, I would always find myself kind of searching around, because I wasn't looking at the price, I was looking at what was on there, and somehow I would always order the most expensive thing on the menu. Always, every time. Mainly because I wasn't paying for it, because free food tastes a little bit better. Um, more importantly, because that's typically where the, like, the shrimp and the seafood hid, and I was, like, I was looking for it. Um, so when Pastor Jason was talking about planning a church in the most expensive city in America, I was like, well, I've been doing that my whole life. I've been ordering the most expensive thing. We might as well most order the most expensive city. We'll be fine. Um, but I think about in the context of like food, I love there's moments that happen in food. Um, one of the things that I think is my favorite moment is whenever you recommend a place to somebody and they go there and they get that thing and they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. That was phenomenal. One of the worst things is whenever you recommend a place and something to eat and somebody goes and gets it, they go to the restaurant, but they get something completely different and they come back and be like, it was not good. I'm like, well, what'd you get? Well, I didn't get the thing you told me to, but I got something else and it wasn't good. I was like, well, I didn't endorse that and I didn't endorse that restaurant. Like, you got to go back and try it again. Uh, like, just, just stick to the, run the play and you'll be okay. Um, but I, I think what's crazy is like, there's two kinds of people. There's people that, that eat, there's people that eat good. And I think for me, I've always just wanted, I'm like, man, if we're going to do this, if we're going to sustain our bodies, hopefully there's nutrients in there. We'll pray about that later. I'm going to heaven, but like, I'm like, I want to eat good. And I think the other moment I love is whenever you go out to eat with some other people that know how to eat good and eat well. I know I went to, I went to Louisiana school. I know there's some grammar that's going to be off, but like when you know, you go with some people that it's like, Hey, there ain't no telling what's going to be on the plate tonight. Everybody's going to be doing good. And you know, that moment of pride where you, everybody looks at the menu. We all have the same options and we order. And then the food comes out and you start looking around at everybody's plates and you're like, Oh, that looks good. Ooh, that. And you start, you're like, Ooh, that moment of pride where you're like, I look down, I see mine. It looks delicious. I'm into it. If not, then it's like, okay, cool. Uh, I won't, it's like you start looking around, you start sizing everything up. Like, I love that moment when you're the one who wins, but if somebody else wins, it's not a competition, but I hate to lose. Um, but in that moment, I, I think it's like, you kind of, you kind of sizing it up. You're like, Ooh, how do I, how do I work this? I have this tried and true process. Um, 60% of the time it works every time. Um, the most important thing I do with it is I, as I look at what's on my plan, I was like, Hey, like take off little pieces. Like, Hey, do you want to try this? Do you want to bite? You want a piece of this? And they're like, uh, some people are like, 
yeah, sure. I'm like, I'm like, cool, here, share willingly. I got a plan. There's, we're going some steps on this. If not, and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, cool, more for me. We're going to be okay. Then the next part is the critical part. It's that moment where if you've shared or you've offered, they're typically likely to say like, hey, do you want a piece? And do you want a bite? And I'm like, yes, thank you. If somebody doesn't, I'm like, I'm sorry, dinner over, check, please. We're going to try this again. Friendship over. Like, if you're not willing to share food, I don't know what we're doing here. But I think this moment is like, it's so critical for me because I'm always looking. I'm like, hey, how do I get that, that just a little sampling, that little bit there? And if, we're, if I'm really honest, I think I do this not just in the context of food. I think I do this in the context of my entire life. Is that so many times what's on my plate, I look down at and I'm not happy with it. And I'll start looking at what's on other people's plates and I'll be like, hey, can I just have a little, can I have a bite, can I have a piece of that? I don't want the whole, I don't even know what the food tastes like at this moment. I don't even know what their life is really like, but I'm just seeing in and I'm like, hey, what's on that plate looks good and I want, I want that. And I don't just do this with my food. I think I do this with like my money. I'll see other people's wealth. I'll see other people's fitness because they probably haven't been eating the food that I'm eating. But like, I'll, I see this with maybe people's marriage and I'm like, man, I just, I just want a piece of that. I have no idea what's going on in their marriage, but I'm like, man, that would be really cool. Or man, I'd love to be a dad, so like maybe, it's like you start looking, I think we do this in our life where we just, what's on our plate isn't necessarily what we're satisfied with. And so I love this moment that Jesus is, is talking about the Last Supper, and he's saying, hey, of all the, this is, a, this is a very physical meal, but Jesus, if you see anything in the Gospels, Jesus is so much more focused on the spiritual than the physical. And so while they're eating, they're talking about, talking about this meal and Jesus is going somewhere totally different. Why? Because I believe that as they're sitting there looking and they're saying, hey, I need, God, I want you to do a little bit of this. And I want you to do a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And they're so dysfunctional and so unsatisfied. Jesus looks and he's like, hey, you don't need a piece of this. You need, you need true peace. You need to be satisfied in your soul. You need a peace that, that fills you up and doesn't run dry. You need a real true peace. You don't need a piece of something else. You, need, you, you don't even need a piece of peace. You need real, lasting peace in your life. And so I love this, but I love the Last Supper, but at the same time, I'm a little frustrated with it because I like food. And the idea of Jesus' Last Supper on earth being bread and wine, that's an appetizer. I'm like, that's where you get started. That's not where you finish. I think like Pastor Jason up here earlier preaching, I was like, I was like man, that's, a, that, that's like the sampler whenever you're like, I want everything on the sampler. Like he was going through every part of the book. I was like, y'all got a sampler for an appetizer. I'm like... Man, that's, that's, when you start looking at it, Jesus is like, bread and wine, that's, that's not that much. Like, I think, I think what's really interesting is like, we live in a city that's all about getting, getting bread, so I think that could be appealing. But in the context of this is like, it's like, hey, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of a weak appetizer to get started. When you start looking at the whole context of this, this Passover, where they're having this meal, it's a lot bigger story. It's really kind of cool. Um, if you know the context of Passover, it's this amazing Jewish celebration where there's actually like hummus and vegetables and there's like different flavors all on the table. It's a huge spread. And then they roast a giant lamb. And so I'm like, that's the last supper. Why don't we talk about that? Why are we talking about bread and wine? Like that's the meal. But again, Jesus has a different take on what we need and what we're looking at. Because although this was a big deal for him to be, he knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to die. This last supper moment is so important because Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, hey, I've got to give them something that's not going to just be a meal, but it's something that's going to be sustenance for the rest of their life. 
sustenance for their soul, sustenance for what they're going to be coming up against after, um, after Jesus. Jesus, it's not even his last supper. It drives me crazy. I'm like, why do we call it the last supper? Jesus, even after he dies and comes back, he's eating meals with other people. He's eating dinner with other people. I don't know what you call supper, but like that's, he's having all these meals. But why is it called the last supper? Because I think what's so incredible is Jesus is seeing this and he's saying, hey, I've got to give them a true peace. And this is not my, this is not Jesus' last supper. This was our last supper. And so I'll unpack that in a second. But before we go any further, I want to talk about peace. Because I think, I think we all have this reality where we want it, but we don't know how to get it. And I think if we're not careful, we'll go through life accepting counterfeit pieces of what we think will satisfy our soul. And then we'll walk out on the other side and be frustrated and leave us more empty than before. So before I say what peace is, I want to talk about what peace is not. I think, number one, peace is not a position. I think we, we always think of, I'm like, oh, man, if I, could just get, if I could just get a different title, if I could just get a different role, if I could just get a different position, um, if I just get a little, a little blue check next to my name somewhere, I think, like, that position is going to help me. Oh, my gosh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to satisfy. And the reality is, is we know that, but I think we need to be reminded over and over and over again that, like, the position that you think you need is often the, it's, it might be because there's some financial stability attached to it or some relational or reputational stability, but the reality is, is, the position that we're often going for is a very physical, man-made position that doesn't last. I think even on the other side of it, I think some of the worst decisions I've made with my own life have been where I've thought, if I could just move from this place to this place, move cities, man, if I could, if I could just live in L.A., oh my gosh, it would change everything. I just got back from L.A., oh, that traffic is insane. I don't think I could do it. But I think so many times we have, we have this thing where it's like, I just need to move, I, I just need a different position. It doesn't matter what the position is. I need, I need to go from single to married. Or I need to go from, I need to go from uh, one kid to four kids. Or maybe four kids to no kids. But I think we are so searching for a position that in the back of our mind, we know it's not going to satisfy us. But I just feel like we need to be reminded. I think one of the other things that peace is not, is peace is not a prescription. Now, Please hear me on this. I, I myself, I've, I've struggled with depression all throughout um, kind of my adult life. And, and I'll say this. The reality is, is I am all for physical solutions to physical problems. And your depression, it, it actually might be a chemical imbalance that you need to get checked out. But I would also submit that your depression also might be a spiritual imbalance. And I would say explore both. And I, th I think it's so incredible because medicine is supposed to heal us, but if we take medicine when we don't need it, it masks and numbs us. And I think if we're not careful, we will numb the very thing that God is trying to work out in our life. I think one of the other things that peace is not, is peace is not a purpose. It's like, well, come on, I grew up in church. I've heard, oh, we got a purpose, we got a mission, we got we to gotta do this. The reality is that some of the most empty people I've come across are people that are doing everything they can to make a difference. And they are nonstop about it. Philanthropists, activists, pastors can be incredibly empty people because they're doing everything they can to make it. I love what Marco Reginelli said during our God at Work series. Um, if you haven't caught the podcast, go check it out. Um, but he said, he said, we as Christians think we've cornered the market on doing good. When in reality, there's a bunch of people doing good. There's a bunch of people that are volunteering. In my own experience, I've experienced that where I could be doing all the difference making in the world. I can be selling my life out for a purpose and not have any peace whatsoever internally. I was like, Andy, I thought you said this was going to be encouraging. Don't worry, we're getting there. Dessert's coming. But I think if we're, if we're very honest, we can look at our life and we say, hey, I need, I need some good news because 
I've tried some of the other things. I could actually talk about there's a ton of other things that we try to do our best to fill the gaps of our heart and what's on our plate. But I think, I think when we really look at what Jesus did, Jesus didn't offer us a piece of peace. He didn't just offer us a little bit. He said, no, 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 I'm going to give you an exchange of peace. What does that mean? He's like, I'm actually going to take your peace, and I'm going to take what's on your plate, and I'm going to switch it out with what's on my plate. And I'm going to give you that. The whole body and the bread thing is our last supper. It's not Jesus's. It's a moment where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you my body, which represents the physical aspects of life on earth and the community and the relationships that, that, that Jesus has. And he says, hey, this is yours now. You're part of the family. And I'm going to give you my blood, which represents peace between man and God and the, the covenant, the new covenant, which is Jesus dying for us so that we can live a, a righteous life in him and him atoning. I think of, I think of this story of, um, I once was on a trip with my dad in the Himalayas. Um, I know, it's casual. Everybody says that, right? Um, we're, we're riding motorcycles through the Himalayas, and, we, and there's nothing safe to eat. And I'm like, I'm like okay, cool. And the, pretty much the only thing that's safe to eat is eggs because they're safe inside the little there. You crack them, they're not safe anymore. But like, I'm eating eggs, omelets every single meal, and I finally get on the way back. I'm like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm not eating egg omelets anymore. I want something different. And I look over at somebody else's plate, um, and I, there were warning signs. I'll be honest, there were warning signs. There was a guy who looked like he hadn't showered in like six years, and the girl looked like she ain't showered in at least like seven to eight years. So like um, there's, a, there's a value system there. Um, but like looking at this, I was like, there were warning signs. But I looked at it, and I was like, what are they eating? They're like, oh, they're having chicken soup. And I'm like, oh, that's what I want. I want chicken soup. Chicken soup for the soul. Here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's what I want. So we sit down. I order chicken soup. Everybody else orders omelets. The chicken soup comes out, and there's like tiny little pieces of chicken in there. There's a ton of broth that's not really broth. looks more like water with some, like, chicken flavoring in it. And, uh, like, two or three noodles, and that's it. And I'm like, well, it's better than omelets because I'm tired of omelets. So I get into it. The chicken's really tough. I'm kind of frustrated. And I'm like, man, this isn't, this isn't, I don't like the way this is tasting. About halfway through, my dad, he goes, he's, like, giggling, laughing at me the whole time. I'm like, what? He's like, you're just funny. And I was like, no, tell me what's up. What's going on? You know something I don't know. And now I'm nervous. And about that time, he goes, he goes hey, when's the last time you saw a chicken? I was like, I mean, I don't know. And about that time, I look up, and through the tent flaps, I see out there, there are thousands upon thousands of crows. And I look down, and I'm like, I'm dead. This is it. I'm going to die on this mountain. I'm not coming home. I literally had to eat my crow. And I have this moment where I'm like, this is, this is disgusting. And my dad did something so incredible in that moment. He was like, he's like, hey, here, you can, you can finish the rest of my omelet. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. You're the best. Scarf that thing down. We're still hungry until we ate the next time. But I think that's what Jesus does is he looks upon our condition and he, we've ordered this life. You're like, no, Andy, I didn't order this life. I didn't order sin. I was like, that was Adam and Eve. I was like, no, 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 no. Every single time we look at what's the options that are on our plate, but then the options on everyone else's, we over and over and over again, we are the same ones in that garden that are choosing what we think is better instead of what God has given us. And I think this moment is like, hey, how, can, how is this possible that Jesus is setting this up where he's saying like, hey, I'm giving, how can Jesus actually offer us peace? There's no way, like anybody else could give us peace. There's a bunch of different ways to get peace. I would submit that our culture and our world over and over again says there's ways for us to make peace. I've heard that phrase my whole life. You gotta make peace with your past, make peace with your friends. You gotta, you gotta make peace in war. The reality is, is we can't actually make peace with God. We couldn't, and Jesus knew this. 
and a new peace would only, it is the only thing, Jesus is the only one. One of his titles is actually Prince of Peace. And he says, hey, I'm the, because Jesus is the only one that has it, he's the only one that can give it. And so he says, hey, before you even ask for peace, I'm gonna offer it freely. And so he says, hey, take my body. And we all often think that he's like pushing it down our throat. He's like, hey, here, take this. That's the kind of church I grew up in sometimes. It was like, hey, you need to take this. Take this body, take this purple drink, you'll be fine. I was like, ah, it kind of feels like I don't want to eat that. Like, we got, we got something better in the back. Like, I don't, I don't know what drink. I don't, I, like, I, y'all got any, like, bread pudding? That sounds better. Um, we had this moment where Jesus isn't saying, like, hey, you need to take this. He's saying, no, 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 you don't. Like, look at what's on your plate. And look at how amazing this is. Here, will you please take this? Because I, it's, it's going to help you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you so much. Because you can't get it without it. You couldn't even order it. And so Jesus has this moment where he offers this to us. And then all of a sudden it shifts everything. Because the source is not what's on everybody else's plate. The source of our peace becomes Jesus. So now the position that we've been so looking for is no longer determined by a man-made title, but it's determined by the fact that we are safe in the identity of Christ and we are a child or we are a son or daughter of Christ. It's like that becomes our new position that determines everything. Our prescription, our medication is no longer that uh, pain is the thing that we just have to live with. It's that, no, there's two things. One, God still does miracles. I'm all about miracles, but I'm also about medicine. It's like they go hand in hand. Jesus is the great physician, and he still uses physicians today. But I think what happens is our prescription becomes something where we're able to look at a doctor's note and say, you know what, this is what the doctors are saying, but I've got faith that God can do more and God can do over and above. And then not only that, that even if he doesn't do it here on earth, I know I don't have to deal with this in heaven. Our prescription changes, and not only that, our purpose goes from being about making something temporary happen to an eternal difference. We're going to make an internal impact with our lives on earth that they will far outlast us because Jesus promises that the kingdom of God will never end. I think, he's like, hey, that's great, I want that, but why is that so important? I think, I think we see how important this meal is in John. John, um, it's kind of this amazing moment. John 16, Jesus says this in, in John 32. It says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. Ah, unshakable, assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. I think about this in the context of like, hey, that's great, but how does that, like, cool, you don't, know, you don't know the situation I'm going back into. What do I do on Wednesday when my boss is being unreasonable? Or what do I do on Thursday when that employee is late for the 20th time? What do I do when my kids, they're, they're, they're driving me crazy? Or, or I, get a medical, I get a medical description that says, like, hey, this is who you are. And I'm like, I don't even know how to face how do, how do I deal with this on a day-to-day basis in the context of peace? I think practically speaking, how do we get peace? Number one, get in a small group. Why? Why? Why are small groups such a big deal? If you think about it, the context that John gives to the Last Supper is where Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it like this. It's like, hey, this is just a little bit of what happened. It's a recap. John actually takes a fourth of his whole gospel and talks about what was talked about in that one night. It's like when you go out to eat and everybody is, is eating and like, I love family style restaurants. That's, that's how heaven's going to be. We're all going to be sharing off each other's plates. But I love that moment where everybody starts talking and sharing, not what's on their physical plate, but what's on their spiritual plate. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually doing great, and I have, some, I have some courage, but you're discouraged, so let me try to take the courage I have and encourage you. That's the best math I can do. I think the other side is like, hey, I'm going through a lot. It's like, cool, 
go have dinner with someone. Go get in a small group. Go hang out. Go on a, uh, they have all, we have all these small groups that are launching today. You'll be able to sign up. But it, it's like go spend time with somebody. that They'll be able to say, hey, let's share family style what is happening in your life. You see this all throughout scripture. Jesus, had, even the way he chose to come back and reveal himself to the disciples was while they were having dinner. I think we talk about dinner parties all the time and it's like, okay, cool. What's so special about dinner parties? Dinner parties are actually not just friends hanging out, having food. It's sacred to this Christian life. It is something so much more than just food on a table. I think the other thing that comes up is get prayer. In my own, in my own journal with, journey with anxiety and depression, I don't think there's a single scripture that has helped me more than this right here. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 in the MSG. <clears throat> don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Other translations say a sense of God's peace. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. You know, it's kind of been a stressful time since I moved here. One of the things is work. I didn't realize this. I'm kind of slow. I didn't realize this until a few weeks ago. Somebody was, I was telling about what was going on in my life, and they're like, Andy, you're a part of two, you're a part of leading and helping with two organizations that are both in startup mode. Of course you're exhausted all the time. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. I didn't even think about that. It's like, yeah, of course it makes sense. It's been very stressful, but I, I find myself at work having to pray over the smallest things. Like, Lord, help me get out of bed today. Um, Lord, help me, help me make it to work on time. Jesus, help me, help me with this, with this, this pant hymn. I know it's, I know it's small, but I need your help on this. God, help me with, help me with being able to take a lunch today because we're so busy. I don't know if I'm going to take a lunch. Constantly, like God, please help me, help me, help me. And I find that the more I submit things to God and say, God, will you, will you help me with this? It becomes more like wrapping presents. What are you talking about? Wrapping presents. What does that even mean? It's like, have you ever had a like wrapping paper where you're just like chopping across, doing your best, and it's like a mess, but you're still getting it done. I feel like so many times whenever I don't submit things in prayer, that's what my life looks like. Instead of that moment where you just, it just slides and cuts right through. I'm not saying that you're not gonna have to cut through things. You're not gonna have to go through things, but there's a difference whenever you feel the breath of God helping you along the way in small things. And not only that, other people will see it. They're like, man, I didn't even know you were going through all that. I'm like, I know, it's just, Scissors, man, it's amazing. Get prayer. You know how we every Sunday have people down here in the front to get prayer? It's like they stand there awkwardly. It's awkward. I'll tell you, I've done it. It's awkward. And they're like looking back and you're like, you no, no, I thought I had eye contact. That's weird. Why do they do that? It's not for them. It's for you. Because there's nothing like the moment where we agree together, agree together in the power and in the name of Jesus. Jesus even said, where two or more agree on anything in my name, I'll do it. And so there's nothing like, I can't imagine a bigger travesty than coming in here on Sundays, needing the power of God, needing encouragement and walking out being like, well, I guess I'll just deal with this for the rest of the week. When there was an opportunity for somebody to say, hey, let's share what's on our plate. Get prayer. Last night, I was texting my friend, Josh. I was texting him, I was like, hey, how are you doing? How are you? He's like, man, I need prayer for this. I need prayer for this. And we were just praying for each other via text message. I'm still praying for him, for his family, for his dad, and for so many other things. It's like, there's nothing like that moment where you reach out and say, hey, 
I don't need you to hype me up. I need you to point me to Jesus and I need us collectively to go to the throne. Um, I saw something that it's not the worship leader's job to lead you into the presence of God. It's Jesus's job. Jesus has already done that. We already have the access and the presence of Jesus. There's nothing like that moment where you look across from somebody and say, hey, let's pray for this right now. That's what we're here for. That's what a church is about. I think the last one, and I said I was gonna cry at this point. I probably will. Get a pastor. What is that? Is that not a, there's a, the pastor title. I think we've heard that. And, if I, and I'll, I'll be honest, there have, been some, there have been some poor representations of pastors out there. I think we've all experienced that. We've all seen that. I'm not talking about the, the leader of an organization. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about get somebody that will care for you. Get somebody that will help you. Get somebody that will sit down with you when your life is on the rails and say, here, let me, I'm not, I'm like, I think pastors are like physician's assistants. They know what the doctor is going to say, and they have to be really close to the doctor, but those moments where they say that is it's saying like, hey, I've seen this before. Let me help you. Let me see. I remember what the, what the physician did in this moment, so let me encourage you with this. I think, I think so often we get to the point where we're like, hey, I need help, and I need somebody to help me walk through this, and the physician would be like, hey, let me pray with you. Let me help you. Let me direct you to the doctor, but let me also tell you that here's some steps you could be taking along the way that are actually going to help you, and we say, oh, no, I'm not doing that. The, one of the greatest gifts of my life have been the moments where I've sat across from my pastors and they said, hey, Andy, I see this in you and I love you enough to tell you this is not gonna help you. It's not gonna help you reach your potential. Not only is it not gonna help you, it's actually gonna hurt other people and it's hurting other people and that's how I even know about it. I'm like, oh man. When he's talk, Pastor Jason talks about me coming a long way. We have had a lot of great conversations where he has said, hey, I'm not God. You need to pray about this and you need to, you need to do, but you need to do your best to start asking some questions you haven't been asked before. And you need to start walking in some ways that are gonna be healthy for you and healthy for the community that we have. And it's changed my life. It continues to change my life. We'll probably have another one sometime in the next few weeks. Who knows? But it's not out of, it's not out of this like, hey, I need you to do this for me. He's held doubly accountable. That's a lot. But it is about helping us on our spiritual journey. The way our, the way our pastors are set up here is he has accountability. And then he oversees, uh, he oversees small groups. So he oversees me. And then Logan and I, we get the opportunity to serve our small groups. And then we have trained so many small group leaders. Small group leaders that have said, I will take time out of my schedule week in and week out to help you, to serve the people of our church. We, when people come in, it's like, hey, will you be praying for me all week? I'm like, nope, but your small group leader will. Get in a small group. And the way I was thinking is it's not this organizational hierarchy. It's an organizational care chart where if somebody says like, hey, the best thing is I can think of, there was somebody who was, who was having some trouble in their marriage and they told me about it. And the first thing I did was I reached out to their small group leaders and their small group leaders were like, yeah, we already know about it. We send them these resources. We've encouraged them. We're praying with them. They're showing up. They're going to counseling and we're helping them. That's what the church is. And then if they couldn't do it, then they would have told me, hey, we don't know what to do with this. Can you help out? And if I couldn't do it, I'd have told Pastor Jason. And if it gets to the point where we're like, hey, we, don't, we need something outside of our church, we will even help you get help outside of our church. Because we're not here for this structured hierarchy. We're here to care for people. Get a pastor that you can go to and say, hey, my life is falling apart. Or even better, hey, rather than letting my life fall apart, what are some things in my life that you see could lead to that? Get a pastor. But I think more than anything else, more than, more than getting in a group, more than getting prayer, more than even getting a pastor, I think we have to have that moment where we say, God, here's my plate. 
and we have to take his. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day. Thanks.